Welcome to Fireside Nets, your number one podcast for Nets news, reactions, hot takes, and so much more. I am Spen, he is Pete, and we are less than 48 hours away from your Brooklyn Nets suiting up against the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Clays in their first full season of the New Era Nets. Pete, how excited are we on this fine Monday afternoon? I'm very excited to hear them play against the Claverleers. I think that's going to be a very good game. I'm very excited for that. Did I call them the Claverleers? Yes, you did. But I, I love well, their second. You know what? They don't deserve our respect because they're not a great basketball team. They're overrated. And their best player wants to play in New York. He doesn't want to play in Cleveland with the Claverleers. You feel me? Who, Jared Allen? Jared Allen. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Former Jared net, Allen. former net. Oh, man, we, we got a good amount to talk about today. Season's about to start. But let, let, let's get started with a bit of news. I call this one, two out of three ain't bad, unless you're three. Trendon Watford and Harry Giles get the final Nets roster spots Darius Baisley is the odd man out as he was waived by the Brooklyn Nets a few days after their final preseason game. Pete, your thoughts on the move to keep Watford and Giles over Darius Baisley? I think everyone and their mama agreed that Giles deserved to get the last spot. You know what I mean? Like, like let's face it, the guy killed it. Yes, he had a double-double in a game, not against an NBA team. But listen, this guy fills a role that we, we've been waiting years for Marks to fill. Just the potential with that alone was worth him staying around. And uh, what was I going to say with Watford? Uh, he's ready to contribute now. Low ceiling. Baisley, I feel like, had the higher ceiling. But overall, uh, he still needs some work. Still needs some work. Would have been great for the defense, but whatever. What do you think? I didn't see enough out of Baisley in the preseason. Maybe it's because he, he didn't get a ton of minutes. The only time I saw him have a good game was against the Maccabee team. Uh, which is not, you know, that's not NBA competition. So obviously a few, a few former NBA guys on that, that team, but they're not, they're not beating 99.9% of teams in the NBA. So yeah, I, it made sense. What worried me was how much the Nets organization loves Dayron Sharp, uh, both Nets fans. And, and I think Sean Marks and, and Jacques Vaughn, they have a soft spot for day day. So I was worried that they wouldn't want to carry uh, more than one backup big. Very happy with this, the decision to have Giles there. Sharp obviously had a bit of a, an injury scare in the preseason. He was okay for that final game. Nick Claxton has, has, has missed time in his career for injury. So I like the insurance in, in having that third big man in, in Giles who can play the five, he can play the four. He's probably the best shooting big on the team, right, out of the three. Oh, yeah. I, you know? So uh, I like that move. And then Watford was the guy, I think, who surprised a lot of people. He surprised me. When you look for what you want in a role player, right? When I say a role player, I'm not talking about a star. I'm not talking about your third or fourth scorer. 
I'm talking about a guy who, who will do sort of anything that's asked of him, right? If your role is, is the eighth guy to come off the bench, run the offense one game, you know, manage the game, that's one thing. In another game, maybe you're off the ball, you have to defend the team's best player. Uh, Watford seemed to do whatever was asked for him in the preseason sufficiently enough where I was, I was kind of convinced right away. I mean, how, how tall is Watford? He's 6'8", 6'9". I don't have it in front of me, Pete, if, if you can find that. Um, but just in terms of his IQ, the, the way he was going to the basket, he went to the basket consistently harder than almost anyone on our team. And I mean that. In terms of you know his touches, the, the ratio between him touching the ball and anybody else, he went the hardest. He did not shoot a lot of jump shots. The jump shots that he did shoot, he made a good amount of them. Uh, really nice player, and and I was I was super impressed with him. So happy we kept him. Happy we kept Giles, and it was just unfortunate, you know. But I think what Marks did this offseason is he took a flyer on a bunch of these guys. It's going to see where we had gold, and he he liked what he saw in, in Giles and Watford a lot more than Baisley, and I think I think every Nets fan would would probably agree. Yeah, uh, Watford is six eight two thirty seven, but I have a question for you. How old do you think he is? <laughs> Without looking it up, don't I, look it up. Don't be an asshole. I'm not. I'm not looking it up. Is he 25? No, he's younger. Is he 22? He's 22. Still oh. very young. Very. I was shocked. Uh, I told this. I said this before. I talked to a Portland podcast about him, and listen, they love the guy, but what I kept on hearing, his ceiling is low. But will he contribute? Yes, he will, and he'll do all the little things, and he does. He's a master of nothing, but very good at everything. That's what I kept on hearing. And we, we kind of saw that, and I think he can contribute. I would not be shocked to see him getting 10, 15 minutes in a role, you know, middle of the season, somebody gets hurt. I, I like him. I like He's still young. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and it makes sense. We're not, we don't need him to be, you know, a knockdown three-point shooter. We have enough of those on this team. We don't need him to be an isolation scorer. We have a few guys on this team that, that can score out of isolation. What we need him to do is be a solid all-around player, right? And, and that's what he looks like. Um, he kind of reminds me, just in terms of roles, it's going to be similar to a Royce O'Neal, but Royce O'Neal can, can shoot the three a little bit more. I think Watford's a little bit more dangerous attacking the paint. But I kind of view those two guys as, as having similar roles. They can come in with the second, third units, manage the game. They're not the best ball handlers, but they're good enough to the point where they're not just going to fall on their, their, their keisters dribbling the ball. Um, I, I love it. I, I like Watford a lot. And I think that, uh, I think that he's going to be a really solid role piece for the Brooklyn Nets this season. Oh, definitely agree. Uh, Baisley just didn't show enough. Like you said, he's young. I think he'll get a spot somewhere. And I would not be surprised if you see Baisley, being re-signed by the Nets at some point. That's something that we've seen in the past. Someone maybe doesn't make the team, but they rejoin the Nets middle of the season when they need, you know, a body or two. That's true. That's true. Don't shut the door on Darius Baisley if you're Sean Marks. Pete, I want to get into some hard-hitting predictions before the regular season. Uh, and I want to start there with – you know, we've talked about it on the podcast. I have a bet. If you follow Pod Thorn on Twitter, uh, we have a bet. I forget the over-under. 
I have the under, I think it was what, 37 and a half games, something right. like that. So 37 and a half wins. I have the under. Podthorn has the over. I, I guess the bet was I'll go on his. Her. Both of us, not just you. Oh, you're in it too. Okay, good. I Listen, I, I remember I sent out the tweet, but collectively we are both in this. Um, so what's the bet? If if we win, which, I, you know, this is a bet that we want to lose. We, we don't want to be right here, Nets fans. Um, so if we lose, we go on his podcast. If we win, he comes on our show. I think that's fair. Uh, although he's been in, on, on Fireside Nets in the past. He's, he's a uh, recurring guest or he's been on once or twice. Um, but without getting into the number of wins, Pete, I wanted to know where we finish. Where do you think we finish in the East? And, you know, I, I've seen predictions that are skewing from Pat Bev going on his podcast saying that he likes the Nets to finish fourth. I don't know why he said he has no reason, no bias. You know, he doesn't have any boys on the Brooklyn Nets. So for him, and, and not that I know of, so for him to say he thinks we're going to finish fourth in the East coming from another player, I think that's high praise. Now, I saw – I forget who the, the source was, so terrible uh, resource or, or research on my end. But someone who, who is a reputable media source had the Nets as 11th in the East. So we're seeing a range of we can be a top four team to we can be a bottom you know, four or five team in the East. Where do you see us finishing? Man, you know what you say? Uh, you know, you mentioned the wins, 37 and a half wins. I've been nailing the head on under, 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 under. After the preseason, I'm not going to lie, my whole thing was saying, listen, if Ben Simmons is healthy and he could contribute, my num- you know, my, my, I might change. I might change. And I'm not there yet. So I'm going to stick with the under. Uh, I'm not going to give you the number total. But I will say I think we make under, and I think we just either make the play-in or miss the play-in. I think it's going to be separated by like a couple games. So you have us, uh, you have us eight to ten range. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know what, you know what, I'm gonna do, Pete. We're gonna do a live look. So I'm going to go on ESPN.com, and I'm going to look at the Eastern Conference. Wow, so, I didn't get the Eastern Conference. What'd you say? I didn't get a look at the Eastern Conference. That's bullshit. You did not. You did not. But that's what I'm going to do. And the standings are all 0-0 because the season hasn't started yet. But I'm going to name the teams I think finish above the Nets. And we're going to – that's how I'm going to rank the Nets. So we have the Bucks, We have the Celtics. We have the Sixers. All going to be better than the Nets this year. We have the Cavs. We have the Knicks. That's five. We have the – Heat. Heat is six. So that's six teams, definitely, in my opinion, that are going to be better than the Nets. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Are we better than the Bulls? Yes or no? That's tough. I want to say I want to say no. Okay. I want to say no. Are we better than the Atlanta Hawks? Yes. And But with the Bulls, I feel like it could go either way. If you ask me tomorrow, I might say we're better. I feel let's, like it's not a deal, but I feel let's like we're agree better than that. that. Let's agree that the Bulls are better than us now, just based off continuity. And That's let's fair. say we're better. Let's say we're better than the Hawks. They lost John Collins this year. 
you know, it, it's going to be pressing for, for Trey Young if, if they struggle, and they struggled a lot last year. So let's, let's say we're better than the Hawks. So I have seven teams right now better than us. They have us in that eight spot. Is Indiana a better basketball team than us? That's another one that's close. I want to say that we're better. Okay, better than Indiana. Okay, I think we're better than Orlando. I think we're better than Charlotte. I think we're better than Toronto. I think we're better than Washington. Would you agree with all those? 100%. And Detroit. Throw Detroit in that mix. Yep. Okay, so I have us. So let's say I think that we're better than Indiana. We're not as good as Chicago. So we're we're seven or eight. Let me count that again. That I definitely had. So I had the Celtics, the Bucks, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Heat. Seven teams better than the Nets. Nets are eight. If I had to go nine, ten, I'd probably go, probably go uh, Indiana, Atlanta, and then take your pick. I agree. Okay, so I, I have us eight. You have us the eight to ten range. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And and I agree with you in terms of like it's hard not to like what we've seen in the preseason, right? And and I do think that right now uh you know Pod Thorne does have the edge in terms of just momentum and and <laughs> you know the the vibes and everything with this Brooklyn yeah, yeah, yeah. team. It's it's great right now, but but once the regular season starts, I mean we all know like things can happen, things can change. We're a deep team now but we're not a super talented team in my opinion. So what we're going to lack in talent, we're going to have to make up an effort. Is everyone on this roster up for that challenge? We will see. Um, Okay. Yeah. I I like that. I like that. That was was good. That was a good segment. Uh, All right. Next up. What kind of season will this player have? So I'm going to name some players, Pete, and you and I are going to determine what kind of season they're going to have. I have six guys on the list. Are you ready? Yep, let's go. Okay. Number one, Mikhail Bridges. So what are you looking? You're looking for numbers? Like what do you exactly I'm just looking for, for if, if you had if if there was a a blurb under this player written by Pete, and it was just sort of, you don't have to give me numbers, just more or less, you know, your your outlook for Mikhail Bridges this season. What you think he's gonna do, give me a few words. Uh he doesn't make the all-star team outright. He makes it as a reserve. 25 points, 40% from three, maybe four rebounds, three assists. He still has to learn how to become a complete player, but the defense is there. He plays uh, 75 games. 75 games, borderline all-star, 25 points per game. What did you think? And I'm going to give you my he – makes it, He makes it as an all-star. He makes it as an all-star. But, but somebody has to, like, you know, someone falls out, and then he takes the spot. Two questions, kind of back-to-back. What did you think of Mikhail struggling, shooting the ball in the preseason? Did that concern you? And then number two, what do you think of Jacques Vaughn uh, saying that they really didn't run any sets for him in the preseason, and they're going to work on, on running sets for him once the regular season starts? Uh, I'm not worried at all about, about the preseason – I've said this before. I'll say it again. Look at teams the first two weeks, first three weeks, even the first month sometimes. Teams are not there, you know, offensively. Sometimes it takes a couple games to get, you know, to get the grind going, to get the run going. And he's going to be fine. I don't love it, right? As a Nets fan, you really have to be like, man, this is not really what we wanted to see. 
the start. But, uh, you know, I, I have a lot more leeway with him than just a couple of preseason games, right? You have to. Here's how I look at his preseason performance. Uh, he got good looks. Didn't go down, uh, and that, especially in that last game, he was cold. But if he's getting good looks, he he works on his craft enough more times than not he's going to make those. So I have zero concern about Bridges. And then in terms of that that sets comment by Vaughn, did that uh, – what was that? I, I, I mean, you're, you're more – I look at basketball more from the fan perspective, but also just because I, I, I enjoy the sport. I like to shoot. I like to play. You have more of a coach's mindset, Pete. You have coaching experience. Mm-hmm. So as sort of someone looking at it from that lens, did that concern you that Vaughn didn't run a ton of sets for him in the preseason? He's, he's going to focus on more sets for him when the regular season comes? I had some people tell me, oh, you know, like we're, we're trying to hide our offensive game plan. Bruh, like, listen, look at the roster, look at the team. We know what this team is going to run. We, we've seen the film. They're not going to change. They're not going to go from a running gun team in the preseason to a half-court offense, right? They're just going to give him more looks, more opportunities with the ball. Maybe you'll see him getting more screens or something like that. To me, that just sounds like fodder. It sounds like the coach taking blame for the player not hitting an open shot. That That's what it, was. it sounds like bullshit to me, to be honest. All right, here's my prediction for Mikhail Bridges this season. I think he becomes the best player in New York. Let me repeat. I think that he surpasses anyone on the Knicks. I think he has a better year than Jalen Brunson. I think he has a better year than Julius Randle. He will be the outright leader aside Ben Simmons on this roster and, and Cam Johnson and Nick Claxton to a certain extent. Um, I, I think he's going to be phenomenal. I think he will make the all-star team. I see him averaging 27, 28 per game. And I just, I think we got a taste last year. Do I think he's going to be a top 20, 25 basketball uh, player in, in the NBA? I don't know. Probably not borderline 20 to 25 in that range. Uh, but I, I do think that he's going to have a fantastic season. I think he is going to become the king of New York this year. You heard it from me first. Oh, that, that, that's pretty ballsy, but I could I could really see that, though. I really could. I won't lie. I don't think Randall should even be in the running for that. I would say it's Brunson versus Bridges. That that would be my my whole thing. Uh, I, I think you're going to be wrong with the whole leader of New York thing for just for this reason. Brunson is the point guard. He's going to be having the ball in his hand the majority of the time. When you're watching game film, when people take pictures, the ball's going to be in his hand. It's going to be an image of him. And let's face it, it's Knicks Nets. Knicks always get more love. Nets always get more hate. So I don't know about that. Maybe he'll be better statistically. But as far as King of New York with the crown, wearing the crown, I don't see that happening. I'm sorry. I, I'd love it to happen. I want to be wrong. Please let me be wrong, God, please. But uh, I don't see it. All right, next up, what kind of season will this player have? Ben Simmons. He's going to rebound, maybe maybe most improved, maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm gonna, I'll give you some numbers with this because I've been thinking about this. I'm going to say he's going to average 10 through 12 so maybe 11 i'll say 11 points he's going to get six rebounds maybe eight assists something like that and he'll play good defense and uh, he'll be a leader on this team he's not going to be afraid to drive and we'll definitely see kind of a redemption arc for this guy and uh if he plays if he plays 65 games or more 
the Nets' chances of like moving out of that eight to ten spot like jumps up. I would say almost dramatically. Maybe seventy games. I would say seventy games, and we could be moving up definitely past eight in my mind if everybody else is healthy. Okay, I like that. Can I tell you why I'm a bit worried? Go ahead. I think the hype is almost too high for him now. I really do. I think that when the preseason started, we wanted to see that the athleticism was there. We saw that right away. I think once we saw he was healthy, I think we all kind of just went nuts. Every Nets fan on Twitter, oh, the Ben Simmons dunk, the steal, the behind-the-back pass, the vision. I have not seen him look super sharp this preseason. That's worried me. There's been a lot of careless turnovers. I still think offensively he's not going to the basket hard. And I, I looked at the difference between him and Watford. Um, yes, there were a few a few plays where, where Ben got the end one and banked it in. I'm not denying that. But if you watch a lot of his drives, he, he does this sort of running one-handed fadeaway hook shot kind of. It's not really a hook shot because he doesn't hook it, but – it's a running one-handed push shot, let's call it, and it's a terrible, terrible shot. And I, I, I think maybe he hit one, and it was the and one against LeBron in the Lakers game. But aside from that, I, I think the hype is too high. Uh, I don't know about the most improved player award because he was already at the top of the mountaintop. Like, yeah, he fell back down. But I feel like, no, I know, but I, I feel like once a guy is at the mountaintop, no matter how high – you know, terrible the fall is, I feel like it's hard to give him because we know what his peak is, right? It's it's different when you see a guy who we know nothing about ascend like crazy and, and that guy wins, uh, you know, the MIP award. So I don't see that for Ben Simmons. I, I think he's going to be solid this year. He'll lead the team in assists. Uh, he'll, he'll be a leader on this, on this team. But I, I worry about those fourth quarter crunch time possessions where he has the ball in his hands and everyone just stands like 20 feet away from him. Yeah, we were talking on the phone. You, you randomly called me up when you were walking your dog. And uh, I, I kind of like this expression, not a really expression, but this metaphor, I guess, I came up with and we talked about uh, Ben Simmons felt like a runaway train just trying to get that atle- like at that, at that athleticism out, doing behind the back, trying to, not trying to show off, I could say, but it feels like a guy that's like, fuck, I have not played in a year. I want to do fucking everything. And he was going 100 miles an hour, and his teammates were going 70 miles an hour. And it felt like he was going a little bit too fast, and he has to slow down for his teammates to kind of catch up so that everything kind of fits. And I think that's something you're going to see that's talking about his sharpness that you mentioned. I think we'll get that a little bit fixed up when he gets, I don't know, maybe 5, 10, 15 games under his belt with the team. And I think he'll look a lot sharper then. Yeah. Yeah, I got to see the turnovers uh, go down, right? I think he had eight in that Philadelphia game. Um, I got to see that number go down. And uh, I don't know. There's something – you look at what we did last season where Dinwiddie was the primary ball handler. And the ball just moved. It was in Bridges' hands. It was in Cam Johnson's hands. That's something I really liked about the offense post-KD, post-Kyrie is it was more of a free-flowing offense, and, and there wasn't one guy. When Ben comes in, don't get, don't get it twisted. He's, he's a ball-dominant player. He needs the ball in his hands. He, he runs the offense. Off-ball, it's a little 
it's a little weird for him because he's he's used to being that guy in Philly. It was always him and Embiid. No one and no one Butler was there. The three of them handled the ball, but no one else really. T- Toby played off the ball a lot during Ben Simmons' his, his mm-hmm. era, you know, in, in Philly. So I don't know. I'm just I guess I need to see it in the regular season. I need to see us win a few games and I need to see him perform and not turn the ball over. And until I see that, I'm gonna kind of have this resistance to get aboard the Ben Simmons hype train as much as everyone else uh, on Nets Twitter has been. I think that's fair. I, I think that's that's completely fair. And I think that kind of sums up everything from the fan base that you have one side getting extremely hyped. And I think we're, I, I'm, I'm very excited, don't get me wrong, but I'm also realistic with it, right? I, I don't expect a 15-point, 10-assist, triple-double season. But I do expect him to play and hope that he plays. Listen, we might be talking about this guy, and he may not play for half of the season if his back isn't back. I, I, I hate to say that. Don't put that evil in I the gotta, universe, I got to say, I got to be realistic. I got to be real. I hate saying it. But, you know, I, I've been trying not to say this stuff for, the, you know, the jinx curse. But I, I got to say it. It's, it has to be said. Nobody brings up more hypothetical injuries than you do. You you back. love the hypothetical. Like, well, what if his back breaks down and he's out the rest you of the season? prepare, bro. I, you know, I <laughs> you see, see that hasn't even started yet. I see I see this as like a, like a coaching GM type of vision that I have on that I want to say, okay, if my guy gets hurt, Who's up next? Can they, you know, can they withstand a hit? Whatever, you know, I could go on this forever. I'll shut up. Next, next topic. Few more players. Uh, Nick Claxton. What kind of season does he have? Uh, a defensive player of the year season that gives him no award. He gets kind of passed on again, and he gets uh, he gets in line for a max deal at the end of the year. Does he make an all defensive team? He should. If he doesn't, then uh, writers are assholes. Yeah. Yeah, I look, defensive player of the year, that, that's a high praise. You know, I don't see him winning that, especially in Brooklyn. But he is – he's a top three, top five defensive center in this league uh, in terms of the fact that he can just guard one through five. He, he's going to block your shot. He can guard your point guard. I'll never forget – a few years ago, we we're playing the Mavericks, and he put Luca in a fucking cage and just wouldn't let Luca do anything. I think he blocked him once or twice. Um, I, I think he's in for a huge season. The one thing with Clax that worries me and is is he's a lot more engaged when he's involved offensively. I've noticed that. And if he's not involved offensively, if he's not getting touches, I just he, he kind of becomes an afterthought during the game. Don't want that to happen. Also, really hope he stays out of foul trouble. That was something that we saw in that Philly series where he would, he would pick up fouls left and right. Uh, as an elite, you, you know, top five defensive center, you have to be able to guard the Joel Embiid's of the world, the Carl Anthony Towns, the Anthony Davises. You have to be able to guard those guys without fouling. Um, and also, don't pick up stupid fouls. That, that's another thing that I, I think the Nets in, in general need to work on. But uh, I, I would agree with that sentiment. Offensively, I don't think – uh, he picks it up too much defensively. I, I think he makes, you know, maybe the third offense. Uh, there's three teams, right? So he'll make yeah. third team all, all defense is, is, is my goal for him. Uh, all right. Three more guys. Let's, let's run through these. We got Cam Johnson. 
What is your outlook on Cam Johnson, who did – I think he has the green light to play on Wednesday, correct? I have no idea, but I, I hope so. I'm going to uh, get an update right now as you give me your analysis. All right. I'm going to say this now. I, I hate saying this. I think he's going to have a disappointing season. I feel like the hamstring – I've said this. Another thing that I've always been saying, hamstrings are a fucking bitch. A hamstring injury can keep you, you know, sidelined for a long time, doesn't heal right. You go, you know, you come back after a month of not playing, you hurt it again. It's it's a nagging injury. And it's just, I see that as a bad omen and a bad start to this new deal for him. Did you look it up or do you want me to keep on going? No, no, no. I got it. I got it. Um, basically, he's been a full participant in practice uh, since October, well, October 21st when I'm seeing the report. And everything is trending towards him being fully available opening night. And then when I go to the ESPN uh, link for the game, he is not listed in the injury report. That's it's good. just uh, Derek Whitehead and Dennis Smith Jr. who are both they're, – they're listed as day-to-day. They're not playing. Um, but he is not in the Nets injury report. So, so that means that most likely we're going to see Cam Johnson suit up on Wednesday. How much he plays, probably not that much. First game back, first live basketball action, not practice. I don't foresee him playing uh, a ton of minutes in that game against Cleveland, but I think that's that's where we're headed. Can I tell you something with this? You know what's not a good mix? A running gun offense and a hamstring injury. That's one thing that definitely does not bode well. But I will say this. He's a corner three type of guy, right? We know that he's kind of a rock staying in the corners. He's going to stay there. So maybe we'll be okay, but I, I don't like that. I, I'm already mm, – I feel a little antsy. But that's just me. I'm better safe than sorry guy. Yeah, I – you know, I, I don't know about Cam Johnson this season in terms of he was the second guy on Brooklyn last season without Ben Simmons. How much is he going to touch the ball on this team with Ben Simmons? Is he that bona fide third guy? Is Dinwiddie or Claxton gonna? And when I say third, I just mean third scorer, right? So because it's Mikhail. Um, I'm sorry, there is no, there is no. It's Mikhail, and then it's kind of up for grabs. Who's that second scorer, right? Is it going to be Cam or is it going to be Dinwiddie? So if it, if it's Dinwiddie, is is Cam a clear cut three over Claxton? Is he going to average more than Claxton? So I think, I think after Mikhail, in terms of the scoring pecking order, those guys are going to have to figure it out. Uh, you know, if anything, Cam Johnson's a knockdown three-point shooter. Like you said, he can chill in the corner, hit threes. But how much is the ball going to be in his hands in terms of creating something on offense? And, and how how often is he going to be, you know, needed to, to score? Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. What do we have Cam Johnson's career? I want to look up. Uh, he's never really – the problem is his role is just it's, – it's so much different um, in Brooklyn than it was in, in, uh, in, in Phoenix. So in Phoenix – his best season, he was averaging 12 and a half uh, right before he was traded. Um, so that was a, a career high on. That was only 40, a few games, though. Only a few games, 43%. Oh, right, because he got hurt. He got hurt. I'm yeah. with you. Um, and then in, in Brooklyn. Oh, no, I wasn't even. I was looking at his season before that. And then in 2022, yeah, he was averaging 13.9. He averaged 16.6 in Brooklyn. So do, we, do I think he's going to average? I think he'll average a little less than that but it'll be right around there. I think 14 to 16 points is very safe. And listen, they just gave him this contract. He's going to shoot. He's going yeah. to get the ball. That's you right. know what I mean? And uh, I think he's going to not – he's a 
I, how can I say this? This guy's a specialist in the corner. He's going to hit 40% from three. He's going to, you know, he's, he's going to play well in that role. But I'm a little nervous with the whole running gun hamstring thing. I think he's going to shoot well, but the hamstring is going to limit him in games played. That's my uh, official prediction. Oh, you know, a hamstring, uh, a hamstring ruined my basketball career, Pete. Told you. It's a bitch. You I mean, should know. Right, I, don't, I don't have the, the recovery time, nor do I have the body that Cam Johnson has. Pause. Let's move on to Cam Thomas, shall we? Oh, you're shaking your head. I had to. <sighs> Cam Thomas, he has been ridiculous in the preseason. Uh, he's been really good. He's just been fun to watch. He looks like he has a confidence about him this this season where, you know, obviously I, last season we saw it during that period, uh, that stretch where, where Kyrie and KD were out. This was before Mikhail and, and Cam really got there. You know, CT was balling, um, and, and, and we saw it again in this preseason. So, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think he's going to be a starter. But as the sixth man, as, as the first guy off the bench, as someone who's going to be, have the ball in his hands when he's out there, What's your prediction for, for Cam Thomas this season, you, you know, this year? Well, you just said that, one, that he had good a uh, good preseason. I, I think he had an all right preseason. He had, what, two games that he didn't do too much, and he had two games that he was really, really good. Once again, it comes down to inconsistency. I've been nailing this over and over. Start Dinwiddie. Start Dinwiddie. Start Dinwiddie. And I just – Talking to you all off the pod, I kind of had a revelation in my head saying, you know what? There's too much. And I got it. Both of the, okay. Cam Thomas, Spencer Dinwiddie, they need to be talked about together. You cannot talk about them separately. Okay. And I got to say this Dinwiddie does too much to be left in the corner. He can't touch the ball four times, shoot four threes, and that's it. So having Spencer Dinwiddie not have the ball in his hands is kind of a minus. But then you want Cam Thomas in to get shots as well. Cam Thomas can come into the starting lineup, play well. But all this, I think, is going to be a wash. This all mumble-jumboed. Because let's face it, Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be gone towards the middle of the season. And Cam Thomas will be the starter after the trade deadline. So I'm saying all this to say, one, you can't talk about one without the other. And two, if Cam Thomas could just get that little bit of consistency... Man, him on a rookie deal would be ridiculous, and maybe he should be the starter overall. So I will say this. He will not be the starter coming out of, of camp. He will be the starter in a couple months. I like that a lot, and 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 this is good that you brought up Dinwiddie because we're going to loop them in together, the type of seasons that, to. that they're going to have. Um, I called you after the Miami Heat or around halftime in the Miami Heat game, and I said that Spencer Dinwiddie is the odd man out, meaning there's one ball. Cam Johnson has to get up shots. Ben Simmons, the primary ball handler. McHale's your number one scorer. Nick Claxton has to touch the ball. So what we saw in that Heat game, Dinwiddie just played 28 minutes off the ball. He, he shot the ball 10 times. He was 3 of 10 from the field, um, you know, nine points. But – we, we've seen this this sort of different Spencer Dinwiddie this year, uh, and it worked when he was in Dallas because when he was in Dallas, he was the third best scorer on the team, right? It was Luka, it was it was uh, Jalen Brunson, and then it was Dinwiddie. And obviously I'm talking about after Hardaway got hurt. But that worked. Him off the ball there worked. 
because you have Cam and McHale on the wings, he's kind of he's kind of out of a position in that starting lineup. He's almost like a like a second guard. Well, that's not. I'm sorry. He's almost like a second shooting guard. If McHale is your shooting guard, didn't he's almost like a second shooting guard because because Ben's your point guard and and Cam Johnson's your your small forward slash power forward, and you don't really have. It's it's just an, I don't know I don't think that that Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas work on this roster. I think that's what you were alluding to in your point. Uh, you kind of have to choose one or the other, and if you're going to choose one to play off the ball, choose a guy whose entire purpose in the NBA is scoring. Whereas Dinwiddie, he, he's multifaceted, right? He can run your offense, he can pass the ball. But I talked to you about you know his responsibility on this team is not to be a playmaker, and that does limit him. From a basketball standpoint, um, I thought, yeah, so I, I look at both of them and I think like both of them can't succeed. And if one of them is going to succeed and it's going to be Cam Thomas on the rookie deal, then you're absolutely right. The Nets are going to have to move Dinwiddie before the trade deadline. And I love what you just what you just mentioned about Dinwiddie, like not touching the ball and whatnot. As a coach, as a GM, you want to get the most, even as a fan, right? You want your players to be at their best performance, getting the most out of your players. Limiting Dinwiddie, well, one of his skills is his great assist-to-turnover ratio. For a team that had turnover issues in the preseason, why would you not want Spencer Dinwiddie to have the ball in his hands? That's one of his great skills, right? He doesn't have to go ISO every time. I get the people saying, oh, he wants to be hero ball, blah, blah, blah. Listen, he doesn't have to take all the shots, but if he can limit the turnovers and playmake, which he did last season, nine assists a game, this is something that, that needs to be done on this roster, a roster that needs playmaking and offense. I didn't think that Dinwiddie was going to work on that big three team. Uh, the year that they – was was he on the team the year it was Harden, Kyrie, and KD? Or was he there when it was just Kyrie? He, and, and, he got hurt in the first, like, five games, so he never played with Harden. Okay, got it. That makes sense. I still didn't think he really worked with Kyrie and, and KD because Kyrie likes the ball in his hands. And I guess Harden, Harden's a much better version of Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Can we say that? I wouldn't say that, but I would say Harden's a lot better of a player. But right, but 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 I think Kyrie would. Let's think about it like this: I don't think there are a lot of guys that Kyrie is going to be okay, relieve, uh, letting handle the ball instead of him. I think Harden and Doncic are on that short list. I don't think Kyrie would be okay with Dinwiddie handling the rock more than Kyrie on the same team. And that was why I didn't think that he worked on that KD Kyrie team. Keep in mind, Kyrie took a, a Harvard class, right? Remember this way back when, when there was rumors of Kyrie coming to Brooklyn, Spencer Dinwiddie was one of the people that recruited Kyrie to come to Brooklyn. They had a relationship. So does that equal more shots for, uh, for Spencer? I don't, I don't know, but I'm saying that there is a, a, a rep, well, not a reputation, a rope a relationship there that uh, it could have go either way. And I do think he could have fit. Would it be the best fit for the team? No, but he could have fit. That's what I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. To make a short, a long point short, I think that Cam Thomas in terms of expectations outplays Spencer Dinwiddie this season. And I think that Dinwiddie has moved for the trade deadline like yourself. Um, all right. A few more things to talk about before we wrap up the show. Uh, I wanted to know, Pete, at the end of this year, are we going to look at this team and say we're building towards something? Or are we going to look at this team and say, you know what? Let's blow it up. 
Uh, we're going to say that we're building towards something because we don't have the first round picks coming up. No, that's true. Every, everyone says, oh, we got so many picks. Look how many picks the Nets have this year. You know how many they got? Zero. <laughs> Zero picks. So we got we to gotta compete. We have these guys on good contracts, and that's how you win. You get guys on good contracts and use that money somewhere else. So if they have a, a landing spot, a starting, like, a starting line of if you want to compete, this is it. I think you have one more year of this, though. And if it doesn't work after next year, then you blow it up. What I think is crazy is uh, I look at, like, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they have been trying to rebuild for what seems to be a lifetime after, you know, the Russell Westbrook, KD, Harden teams. And then, you know, they were competitive a few years with Westbrook, and then since then they've really been rebuilding. They've been essentially the process after the process with, with Embiid. Uh, then I look at the Nets – over the past four or five years, the Nets could have went that route post this KD Kyrie era. And Sean Marks said, absolutely not. I'm not doing the Sam Presti. I'm, I'm not doing, um, oh, God, I, I forget. Uh, who was who was the guy in Philly? Was it Sam Hinkie? No. I know you're talking about, maybe you're right. I don't remember. I know you're talking about those. Brian Coangelo. There were a bunch of, bunch of guys in Philly, but uh, – Sean Marks said, absolutely not. We're going to be competitive. We're going to get guys like Mikhail, like Cam Johnson, older guys who are, who are still, you know, getting better at basketball. And, uh, you know, as a fan, it's kind of nice that your, your general manager took that approach and, uh, instead of being like, okay, let's suck for the next three to five years. And, 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 you know, he's not going to be the GM in three to five years. Right. That's why I, I kind of respect it, but I also see it from a selfish point of view. Like if Sean Marks wants to keep his job, Cy wants the Nets competitive. Um, it was Sam right. Hickey, by the way. You were right. It was Sam Hickey. There you go. See, I, I know these random things, Pete. In my in my head, I just have a bunch of a bunch of facts that's just that just jumble around all day, and I I, I try to shoot them out when uh when ready. Um, who's gonna be the biggest surprise on this roster? Oh man, that's a great question. Oh fuck, the biggest surprise, man. Go ahead, you go first, because i got to think this time. Well, the easy answer is Dariq Whitehead, because he is the biggest unknown. And also Tim Capistra, the capper, was on the show, and and his answer to this question was Dariq Whitehead. But I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say it's – I'm going to say it's Trendon Watford. And I I think that, you you know, the Nets have had a lot of disappointing role guys throughout the years. I think of guys like TLC – who came in here, who, who like Nets fans absolutely despised. Uh, but th- they've also had, you know, guys who have shocked us. I think of like an Andre Blatch all the, you know, way back in the day, who was just a fan favorite. He, he, he came in, he did his role. He was awesome. Um, no one else is coming to mind right now, but I think Watford can kind of be that surprise. Oh shit. Like this guy can actually help us win basketball games type of player. Um, he's not going to be in the, in the, you know, in the rotation and crunch time. He, he's not going to see big minutes down the stretch in playoff games, but in the middle of the year, if, if guys like Cam Johnson or, or guys like Dinwiddie, you know, need a rest and, and Watford comes in there, I think we're going to be really surprised with, with what he brings to this basketball team. So uh, that that's my pick. You know what, Pete, to give, to give a good comparison when Edmund Sumner balled out for the Brooklyn yeah. Nets, I can kind of see Watford being that type of guy. I could, I could see that. Uh, I'm for my guy. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick Giles because I feel like he came kind of came out of nowhere. 
And I feel like he can contribute and expectations are very low. And if he does just a little bit of what he showed in the preseason, this roster will be greatly improved. Giles, I like that pick. If I if I had a second pick, I think that would have been my pick. Lonnie Walker would be my next pick. Can't forget Lonnie. Oh, he had a nice preseason too. Uh, you know what? I like this Nets roster, man. I'm annoyed that we're we're on the under of the 37 and a half games. I get it. We're gonna stand by that. Uh, talking about the bet that I referenced earlier in the podcast with Pot Thorn. But I just I like the guys we brought in. We brought in hungry, hungry players. Um, and then finally, you know, this is a tough question. Who will be a guy that the Nets fans absolutely can't stand uh, via my, my Timothy Luau Cabarro reference from earlier? Probably Spencer Dinwiddie because everything, everything negative he does seems to be put underneath the microscope. So every time he goes for a drive and complains about Nick not getting fouled, they'll see like 100 tweets about it. So that'll be my pick. Okay, before I give my pick, quick shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, commented on Pete's Instagram post. Clearly, he's a fan of Nets fans, you know. So uh, give him a lot of credit. He's he's probably listening right now. Spence, you, you know you're a real one. We we root for you. We love you. Uh, and and the whole the whole tr- you getting moved at the trade deadline thing is nothing personal. It's just it's kind of what we we think. But uh, yeah, yeah, shout what? out to Spence. Say it again. Stay and stay. I want him to stay. Forget the trades. Fuck more. I want him to stay. Isn't that a song? I don't know. But keep on going. I think it <laughs> is a song. Um, yeah. No, I, I just wanted to call that out. Uh, shout out to Dinwiddie for listening to uh, Nets fans you know and Fireside Nets. Um, all right. My pick, it's Dorian Finney-Smith. It's not even a, a hard, hard question. Uh, he has been very, very down in the preseason. He had a few threes against Miami, but I just think he's going to be a guy that his value has been plummeting since he got traded to our team. Um, I expected a lot more consistency out of him. Uh, my problem with him, Pete, is there are dudes in the NBA when they miss, it's the ugliest thing in the world. Like I can take a pretty miss five times over two ugly misses. And Dorian Finney-Smith has some of the ugliest misses from three-point land I've ever seen. So he is a guy who I I can see the Nets fans turning on very quickly. Did not have a great end to the season last year. Looked very iffy in preseason. And, uh, you know, I don't think him coming off the bench is he's going to be more productive than him starting. Right. You would think a guy starting, you know, give him more confidence, hit more shots. So he is a guy who who I think is going to be the most hated on this basketball team. That's really, that's a good pick. Very good pick. All right. We're going to close out the, the show with a little bit of laughter. Uh, I call this segment, Hey Pete, you want to laugh? James Harden's status is unclear. For the 76ers opening night game on Thursday in Milwaukee. That's the suck, doesn't it, motherfuckers? They were making fun of us for all that time after the trade. Fuck all of you guys with the bad Philly fans. Good Philly fans, I'm sorry that you have to go through this. But bad Philly fans that shit on us, fuck you. That's what I got to say. Be, I'm going to be real with you, Pete. The percentage of good Philly fans is a lot smaller compared to the percentage of bad Philly fans. Here's here's what this is like, right? This is like, um, you know, the popular kid coming to you in high school and being like, man, like you're a loser, this, that, yada, yada. And in your head, you're like, okay, give me like five, ten years. And then you go to the high school reunion – 
in in a nice suit because you got a hundred k, two hundred k paying job, and he's still working at Burger King, and you're like, hey, Jack, get me a Whopper and some fries, and and never say one bad word to me again because I beat you at life, and that is what I'm seeing with James Harden and Ben Simmons, right? When, when we traded away Harden for Simmons, everybody in Philly laughed at us. They were like, ha-ha, good luck with that. You gave us a top 20 player in the league. We're going to give you a guy who folds every year for us in the playoffs, which is not true. He, he had one down moment in the playoffs. I get it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was the ultimate, like, wait and see if you were a Nets fan, right? We were all like, hey, good for you guys. You got Harden. He wanted to get the hell out of here. But wait and see what happens. And and this is our moment. The fact that he is is it's uncertain he's going to play for them opening night. So they have this asset that they're paying. Supposed to be a team leader. Wants nothing to do with the team. I love it. I love every second of it. This is what you get, Daryl Morey, for 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 doing what you did. Um, you're a piece of shit, general manager. I I don't like you. And uh, that's it. That's all I got to say. That guy was very funny. And, uh, and fuck Harden, too, for missing out on all that money. He could have re-signed with the Nets. He'd be making, what, $40, 50000000 million right now? Now no one wants to give him a deal. Oh, man, tough shit, man. That's crazy, bro. Damn. I'll never forget two moments with James Harden. The Sacramento Kings game where he just phoned it in and he played quite possibly the worst basketball game I've ever seen a player play, and it had nothing to do with him being off. It's just there was no effort that night. Uh, and then number two – uh, you know, towards the end when, when he was sitting out of games for no reason, I went to a Nets Celtics game uh, where he was there in a suit. He was just bullshitting with Patty Mills the whole time. The Nets lost that game by 30, 40 points. He seemed to not give two shits, and he was traded within the next four or five days. Um, I'll never forget that. That's not how you treat a fan base. That's not how you treat an organization. And I'm, I'm happy that Philadelphia is finally seeing this because uh, – it, it, it wasn't Brooklyn. For everyone who wants to say he left because it was Brooklyn, it wasn't Brooklyn. It wasn't Houston, and it's certainly not Philadelphia. It's him. He is the problem. Hey, James, hi. It's the problem. You're the problem. It's you. That, that, just put a bow on that. that that's per- You just summed it up perfectly. All right. That's all I got this week. Thanks for listening to Fireside Nets with Spen and Pete. Pete, any final words for the listeners? Yep, I'm going to be dropping an episode literally within seconds, within minutes. I did a little bit of a a season preview with Saint from Nets Kingdom. Great episode. We went for about 45 minutes. I think you guys are going to love it. It's going to be on on the YouTubes and on audio. Check that out, at NetFansYouKnow. All right, thanks for listening, everyone, and go Nets!